Before this begins, I wanted to include one correction and one clarification. I had an 83-pound husky trying to pull my arm out of the socket because there was a fox running around. So with that distraction, I missed one of the bullet points under the part where I was talking about the way Republican politicians assisted corporations in destroying unions in America to take away our ability to negotiate for better pay. They did this by a few different methods. I covered the part where they basically characterized unions as communism. I included the part where they helped corporate America by voting down any democratic bill or filibustering any democratic bill, either one, that would have limited or outlawed union-busting practices. The third bullet point I missed, and that was the one where Republicans took a more active role in destroying unions. Basically, while they were voting down all of the uh, laws that would have prevented union busting, they also were engaging in a smear campaign that characterized every union shop in America as a mafia front. In reality, there were some unions on the East Coast that were corrupted by mob activity. But this made up a tiny fraction of union labor in America. We would have been much better off if they had investigated and cut out the rot. But that's the thing. If it's a limb that you don't want to save, you're going to jump straight to amputation, just like the Republicans did. They used that mafia justification to launch investigation after investigation that was supported by no evidence. And they constantly audited every union shop looking for any kind of impropriety, any reason to shut them down and disband the union. So that's the correction. And now the clarification. I mentioned repeatedly throughout this whole thing that Republicans would either vote down or filibuster policies that would have prevented union busting and also compel companies to pay people what they're worth. I didn't want to get into the filibuster topic because that's something I don't think we can get rid of. I think we should. I think we need to. But the thing is, we need a supermajority to do that, and we don't have it. In the event that we do actually get a supermajority in the Senate, then maybe that's something we can talk about. And honestly, getting rid of the filibuster or not having it in the first place would have made it much harder for Republicans to assist corporate America in paying people as little as possible by destroying unions and by aggressively opposing all regulations that would have affected the way businesses operate or handle their employees. So yes, it would be great if we got rid of the filibuster, but I don't see how it's possible especially when we had Steve Manchin and Kristen Sinema, two Democrats, well, who are actually Republicans. Now, they're not just 
moderate Democrats. They're not even right-wing Democrats. They are Republicans pretending to be Democrats. And they will make it impossible for us to get rid of the filibuster. So there you have it. That's the clarification and the correction. So, on to the worst thing Republicans have ever done to us, to all of us, under the upper management level. Well, I'm out with my best friend, or at least one of my two best friends. And he is yanking me all over the neighborhood because he's 83 pounds of insane Siberian Husky with way too much energy and way too much attitude. Despite the fact that he is 11 years old. So, why not use this time to talk to nobody in particular about the Republican Party's worst crime ever. The worst thing they've ever done, by far. Now, I know that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. I mean, people say things like, worst movie ever, worst show ever, or this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And most of the time, it's a figure of speech. This is not. This is legitimately the worst crime they've ever committed, and they've been doing it for a long time. So I'm going to talk about what it is. I'm going to talk about why they do it. And I'm going to talk about how they do it. So what is it? Now here's the what. They're keeping us living paycheck to paycheck on purpose. They're keeping us as poor as they can keep us. Intentionally. Now, you probably know the effect of that. It's the difference between losing a tooth and being able to get an implant and just leaving a gap there for the rest of your life. Now, I could move on to the why, but this is personal to me, so I'm going to ramble about it for a minute. Think about every single social problem we have. Every one of them. Healthcare, mental illness, addiction. All of it. Every single one of these problems has been severely exacerbated by the fact that people are poorer than they've ever been in this country. Since the year 2000, the cost of living has gone up by 400%, approximately. Which means it's five times as high as it was in the year 2000. And yet, for starting pay for any position under the corporate upper management level, pay rates, starting pay rates have only gone up about 8%. Which, if you're counting, that leaves us 392% short of our pay keeping up with the cost of living.
Now, if you're hearing this, and I know probably nobody will, that you live in America. You've seen it. The thing is, we have the largest income inequality gap in the developed world by far. If you want to find a larger income inequality gap, you have to go to a second or third world country. That's the state we're in. So why would they do something like this? Well, there's two reasons, mainly. Honestly, there's, there's actually a lot more than two. But there's two primary reasons that break down into a whole lot more. The first is personal enrichment. Bribes from corporate lobbyists. In the mid-20th century, companies decided that in order to pay people as little as they can get away with, they would need political help. So they reached out and found as many politicians as they could who would be willing to take a bribe in exchange for voting against or filibustering any policy that controlled or limited in any way the way a business functions. Anything that would impose any kind of rule on how a company operates, they would automatically oppose. And in exchange for that, well, they would get a hell of a lot of money. But these are corporations we're dealing with. And, like I said, they want to pay people as little as possible. That's the name of the game. Keep your profits up by keeping your costs down. So with this initial investment of bribes, they sweetened the pot with a promise. They convinced Republican politicians that it was in their interest to do this, to keep people as poor as possible, to keep people living paycheck to paycheck. So how did they do that? It was honestly very easy. And the benefits? Oh, the benefits are myriad. The first benefit is winning elections. By keeping people as poor as possible, all you have to do is manufacture the slightest increase in the cost of any given commodity, whether it's food, gasoline, healthcare, you name it. The slightest increase in any of those things, even taxes and inflation, would, well, it would turn people who are barely making their rent into people who are almost making their rent. I've been in that position when I was younger. I know how painful that is. And just like anyone else in that position, I wanted to know who did this to me. Because despite the fact that I was working constantly, full-time, almost no vacations, with almost no spending on anything recreational, I was still barely making it. Anyone in that position would want to know why. Manufacture that slight increase, and that gives you the ability to blame the opposition for it. 
Now, corporations, they've been able to assist in this. Since they control the price of every commodity under the sun, well, they were able to help the politicians help them. All they had to do is engineer these increases in a very specific way that would allow them to blame democratic policies for these increases. And they've been winning elections off of that for decades. So, even without the bribes, Republicans benefit massively. And there's another dimension to this particular benefit, too. Social programs are something that, well, are more of an interest of the Democratic Party, to put it lightly. Republicans, if they had their way, wouldn't provide any social programs at all. So the moment a Democrat decides they want to introduce a bill to add funding to existing social programs or create new ones, all Republicans have to do is point at that and say, they want to raise your taxes. This will raise your taxes. This will make you even poorer. They're taxing you to death already, and they want to take more and give it to people who don't want to work. And just as a side note, these people who don't want to work are often single moms who have no control over whether a man decides to leave after getting them pregnant. Marco Rubio actually had the nerve to call it communism, to want to give $300 to a single mom to keep her, from, to keep her and her child from freezing to death or starving in an alley. And that's communism. Yeah, right. That's going to be a running theme in this. Now, being able to slash social programs and vote against or filibuster every social program, this gives them the ability to retain more of that tax revenue for their projects and their interests and, well, themselves directly. So that's the why. Here's the how. Now this is not just Republican politicians, this is corporations too. They both have an equal hand in this. Like I said, the name of the game has always been to keep your profits up by keeping your costs down. And one of the most expensive things is labor. That is probably the most expensive commodity in any major company's balance sheet. <clears throat> there are two methods by which well, the proletariat can compel companies to pay people what they're worth. One of those is by regulating those industries. And we've already talked about that. 
by default, Republicans vote against or filibuster every single policy that limits or affects the way a company runs in any respect at all. It's an automatic no on everything. On the rare occasion Democrats have been able to pass anything, it's because they had a supermajority. Now think about this. A few years back, it was discovered that ascorbic acid and potassium benzoate, when left together in a sugary drink, a chemical reaction occurred. Now, it wasn't a chemical reaction that would be immediately apparent at the factory where things are tested. It was something that would not be detected until after it had sat in a can or a bottle or a jug for about six weeks. This chemical reaction between potassium benzoate and ascorbic acid created something called benzene, which is the active ingredient in, well, many brands of engine cleaner. It's also a carcinogen, a really powerful one. Now, you would think when something like this was discovered that that particular combination of ingredients in soft drinks would be outlawed. It's about as healthy as putting lead in soft drinks. But it wasn't. That was filibustered by the Republicans. However, companies like Sunny Delight and Monster and Pepsi still decided to pull a lot of their products from the shelves and reformulate their products so that this chemical reaction would not occur and this carcinogen would not be present in their drinks. However, that was not because they had to, at least not from a policy standpoint. They did this because of the risk of class action lawsuits. And that is the only thing, that is the only thing that contributed to those drinks getting safer. The fact that they might get sued. And it is at this point that I have to remind you, it is the Republicans that are constantly pushing to limit the amount that juries can award in civil cases. They've constantly pushed for limiting punitive damages and actual damages. They call it tort reform. It should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Republicans do not care if you live or die. Nor do they care how you die, how painfully you die. Nor do they care how much you get paid, except that they want to make sure you get paid as little as possible. So, that's deregulation for you. But deregulation ties into another issue, and that's union busting. Back when America was about 60% unionized, in the middle of the 20th century, well, people were paid much closer to the cost of living. 
even companies that were not unionized had to pay people more in order to compete with the salaries offered by unionized companies. It was a tide that lifted all boats in terms of workers. Now I know I've said this already, but the name of the game is to keep your profits up by keeping your costs down. Now deregulation is a good start in making sure that you're able to pay people as little as possible, but that doesn't get you all the way there. So they started cracking down hard on unions. Their original tactic was to smear them in the press by calling them communists and characterizing what they do as stealing away what good American business people built with their own two hands. Communists stealing from pillars of the community. It was disingenuous and it was bullshit. But people went for it because, well, we were fairly fresh off the Red Scare. For some reason in this country, we've always been terrified of communism. That's been the boogeyman for a really long time. But eventually, that insanity from the Red Scare faded away. And simply calling people communists and using that as a justification to send thugs out and beat people's heads in for being on strike, uh, it didn't quite fly anymore. Still, for a good few decades, people cheered at their televisions while corporate thugs caved in people's heads just because they wanted fair pay. They watched it and they cheered, the good guys beating down the commies. I have to pause for a minute because I don't even know what to say about that level of ignorance. Well, once this tactic of characterizing unions as communist, uh, faded and didn't work anymore. Well, they had to return to politicians to get help from them to destroy unions. Well, luckily for them, they already had a deal in place where any policy that limited any way a business operates well, it was already in place and Republicans were already filibustering and voting against any policy that had anything to do with that. So they used that to their advantage. They got really creative with their union-busting tactics. And under normal circumstances, you would think that these abuses would be things that legislation would catch up with. For example... It is illegal to threaten to close a factory or a restaurant location or an office location in response to unionization. However, it's perfectly legal to declare that business is not doing so well, that profits are down and 
this location may have to close. It's a very subtle distinction, but that's legal. A very subtle change to the wording of the law that outlaws threatening to close in response to unionization would close that loophole. And bills that would have done that were introduced. And they passed with a majority, but were filibustered. So that loophole remains open. And companies actually have closed locations in response to unionization. But they justified it by saying profits were down. And when you possess the books, you can cook them to say whatever you want. And it's really not hard to make it look like you have less money than you do. But that's not where it ends in terms of destroying unions. Let's take Nissan for example. Now John Oliver, he did an episode on union busting back in November of 2021. In this episode, they interviewed a woman working at a Nissan plant because the pay there was so low that people were barely surviving. This woman wanted to unionize that shop. So she started organizing her colleagues and working towards actually starting a union. The company got wind of it. And just on her shift, they made her job, which had been a two-person job, into a one-person job. Now, this woman was a really hard worker. She rocked at what she did. And she kept up for a really long time, but sometimes, due to her not being superhuman, sometimes her numbers fell behind the other shifts. Which, I must remind you, during those shifts, that job was being done by two people instead of just one. And when that happened, she got written up. In that episode of Last Week Tonight, you find out that after that interview, she was written up a final time and fired for not meeting those numbers. Didn't happen often, but it happened often enough. And as soon as she was gone, all of her efforts to unionize that factory evaporated. Here's another example, Amazon. Because it's not illegal to do so, they have training videos that they make their managers watch and test them on. And these videos instruct them to look for red flags, signs of unionization happening. Uh, one of those red flags is a particular set of phrases like living wage. Managers are instructed if they hear the words living wage being spoken anywhere on company property, they are to report the person saying it to their manager. At that point, the superiors come in and they handle the situation usually by manufacturing a reason to terminate the person who used the red flag phrase. 
This is not a conspiracy theory. This is real. Those videos have been leaked. You can find them on YouTube. All of these activities should be illegal, but they're not. Bills have been repeatedly introduced to outlaw this kind of behavior, but they always get filibustered or voted down by Republicans. Now, if you lay these two graphs over each other, one being the decline of salary keeping up with cost of living and the decline of the percentage of private sector workers in America that are unionized, you'll see that they pretty much match. And why wouldn't they? With the aggressive deregulation that Republicans so kindly delivered to their corporate masters and the manner in which they assisted corporations in destroying unionization in America, well, they've effectively robbed us of any recourse to negotiate for better pay. So, of course, as cost of living has gone up, our pay has stayed the same. In the 90s, I made $5.75 an hour washing dishes. I calculated it out a while back based on the bills I had at the time. And that would be the equivalent of about $22 an hour. In 2022 dollars. Minimum wage has gone up by about $1.50 since then. 20 years, $1.50. That's our situation. It's not all doom and gloom, though. It seems like there might be light at the end of the tunnel. Because of the pandemic, people working at fast food restaurants, grocery stores, gas stations, and other customer-facing businesses well, they were already not making enough to survive on. And they were far less likely to have health insurance or any savings to fall back on when they inevitably would have gotten COVID. And in the year 2021, and for most of 2020, that really was pretty much an inevitability. This is why you saw so many restaurants shut down and a few still that are holding out to try to pay people less than what they can even survive on. But screw them anyway. If you build your business model on paying people less than what they need to survive, I'm perfectly fine with your business going under. More than fine. And you know what? The market hates a vacuum. A better company will take any company's place that goes under because of that. So because those workers at those customer-facing businesses made that stand and refused to risk their life for a paycheck that wouldn't even keep them living indoors, that's going to push your pay rate up too. So you should thank them.
2019, we hired someone onto our IT team for 50 cents more than what I accepted as a starting pay rate for the same position when I accepted it in 2005. That's it, a 50 cent increase in 14 years. And now that amount, about $19 an hour, is what restaurant workers are being paid. And you better believe that when the raises start coming around, companies are not going to be able to pay IT field technicians the same pay rates that people are getting for washing dishes at a burger joint. This is a tide that's going to raise all boats. How much it's going to raise them, that remains to be seen. But like I said, when your pay goes up because of this, you owe it to those workers that made a stand and refused to risk their life for less than a living wage. Or you can just be an asshole and keep complaining that your favorite restaurant's closed because the workers are so greedy. And if that's you, you can fuck off and die. Seriously, you can fuck off and you can die for all I give a shit. Sorry, that's just how I feel. I know that uh, next time somebody screws up my order at Burger King or wherever else, I'm going to eat it with a smile and not complain. That's just a tiny thing that I can do to show my support, and really it's not enough. It really isn't. We should also be tipping our asses off for these people. It's because of them and because of the pandemic that your life just might get a lot better. Now, it's not going to fill that full 392% gap. I don't think we're going to see that, but we don't need the full 392%. Almost any social program we have, whether it's mental illness, addiction, health care, poverty, anything, if we made even 100% more than we make now, all of these things would have far less impact on us. And it would be far harder to manipulate us by manufacturing minute increases in the cost of commodities, or more than minute, as the case may be. Gas prices, health care, food, whatever. When those things go up because of a recession or because of necessary spending on things like pandemic relief, it won't hit us so hard because we'll be actually making something much closer to what we're worth. And make no mistake about it, we're fucking worth it. You're worth it. I'm worth it. You know, car makers, they don't get to negotiate with their suppliers on the cost of steel or aluminum based on how good their business is doing. If they tried, well, those vendors would just laugh and say, hey, this is the price of steel. And yet we don't have any recourse 
to say, hey, this is the price of labor. Because unlike the price of steel, the price of a human being is negotiable. Let that sink in for a minute. Plastic, aluminum, steel, wood. All of these things have a far more solid value than you and your most precious resource, which is your time, the one thing that you can't replace once you lose it. That's not how it should be. And if you want that to change, stop fucking voting for Republicans. That's all there is to it, really. Stop fucking voting for Republicans. Unless you like living paycheck to paycheck and dying young. Because nothing will kill you faster than being poor. That's all I have to say.